community. And I, I really feel like this has been a, an incredible deposit into who we are as a church. Because what we're talking about is how we're supposed to function as God's people. How we treat one another. How we treat others beyond our circle. And, uh, and so it, it really... Really a fantastic series. We kind of started with an overarching theme about what God's community is all about. And we're going we're gonna to end with kind of an overarching big picture theme. And we've talked about, we've talked about conflict. We've talked about how to help each other grow. We, we've talked about what destroys relationships, what builds them up. We, we've talked about all kinds of things, communication. And so um, I want to talk to you this morning about something that will be a little bit unique to you and to us. But I, I believe that is, it is a problem that exists within our culture. It's a problem that exists within the, the nation that we live in and the, the elements of our culture that drive us, that make us think the way we do, that make us act the way we do. And so uh, let's pray, let's read some scripture and then we'll, we'll dive into it, okay? Father, we thank you so much for your word, the power of it, illumination by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come now and speak to us. Come now and reveal yourself to us as we open the scriptures together and share. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 is a, a little fra phrasing from the Apostle Paul. It is a, a really amazing passage in chapter 4. The book itself, the, the letter itself that the Apostle Paul is writing to believers uh, the Ephesian believers, he, he's saying here, he's talking about unity as he goes through chapter 4. And we're just going to read a few verses here. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. These are amazing words that describe how the community of Christ is supposed to function. But it occurred to me that we are struggling very often to do these things. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. I don't know if you are aware of this, but patience requires time. Patience requires time, making allowances for each other's faults because of the love that lives in you, the love from God that spills over into other people. He says, make every effort. Make every effort. I know that in a culture that says that convenience is the number one value, this is really hard. In a consumer-driven psyche, a national psyche that is all about consuming things and conveniences and what works best, we sometimes treat relationships with this same attitude. What will these relationships do for me? How will this work for me? If this isn't working for me, you know, I'm really going to go on to some new ones. 
in the digital age we're living in, where it's just it's like instant messaging and um, and and Facebook friends are the way we define kind of our friendships, right? It's it is in, incredible. I I mean, this Pokemon Go thing is a crazy, crazy cultural phenomenon. There are gaggles of teenagers. Is that, a, is that a word, gaggles? Of teenagers roaming, marauding, roaming teenagers <laughs> in our neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, you can be thankful for one thing if, you know, it's like at least they're not in the house staring at a screen. Now we're outside staring at a screen, but still we're outside. But there are, there are these cultural things that begin to define us. And t- so today I'm going to talk about, the title of the message is, Old Friends Are the Best Friends. Now I had this title for several weeks and suddenly this morning I was just thinking about and praying about and getting ready for the service and I realized that some people might think I'm saying old people are the best friends. It's, it's not, it's not... It's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying, although I do think that it is good to have old people as your friends, especially you young people. All right? Okay. All right. So I just, there's a point of clarification. What I'm talking about is friends that you've had for a long time. Now, I have had some friends for a very long time, and uh, some of them, you know, you would know. Um, some of you know Russ Walker. He is um, on, our, on our team. And uh, I've known Russ Walker since college. All right, if you've seen Russ Walker, he's this big old tall guy. And he, he's at our Lake Travis community, right, as the, as the community pastor now. But that's him on the left right here. And I knew him when he was just a baby-faced, awkward tall guy. In college, we went to college together, and that's how he ended up being here. Was we've just been friends for so long. Um, one of my best friends in the world is my wife Amy. I've been with her for 24 years. I want you to check out this babe right here. <laughs> look, uh, look at how skinny I was. She looks the same. Uh, but this is, I think this is a get your roommate a date picture. We're in college, get your roommate a date. Her roommate made this happen. So we can thank her. Her name is Rhonda. Here's a, here's a picture of, of uh, this, these next two pictures are a little bit more, um, they're a little older than when I knew them, but I'm just going to put them up here anyway just because it's so fun. Here's Kim. Oh, sorry. This is uh, Spiro and Jennifer Stavros. <laughs> Now I didn't know them at this I didn't know them at this particular time but a few years after I got to know them. we've we've known each other for 20 20 years almost and so but I just wanted to show this picture cuz I love it <laughs> I, this was just fun Anyway, Spiro and Jennifer, they came with us to plant this church. They were one of the 50 people that came from Colorado Springs to help plant our church. And they're sitting right here on the second row. And they look a tiny bit different than, well, Spiro does. Jennifer, she looks pretty much the same. All right, so next is Kim uh, Swafford. This is Kim Swafford. Check this out. 
Can you believe it? Now, I did not know Kim Swafford when she got married, but just to her right is Britt Hancock. <laughs> and I've known him for 25 years. Crazy, crazy. Just, he looks so much like Jacob. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. It's so, anyway, Jacob's his son. Sorry, sorry, but I digress. Anyway, I've known these people a long time. Here's a couple more. Here's Rob and Sarah Stennett, all right? I've known Rob and Sarah since they were married. I, I was there. And they, when they met, when, when they went through their dating thing, I was just part of that process. Look at that baby face. Look at that. Look at that hair. It's so nice. Then there's a, let's see, uh, here's, oh, here's, here's a good one. Marty and Casey, here we are. What? Where is the beard? He looks so weird without a beard, doesn't he? So crazy. Nice little soul patch. That was a baby beard. Um, and then, uh, and then here's, here's a fun one just for fun. Here's par Parsley Boys. This, that's me. And that's Brent down here. <laughs> Check it out. That's Brent, and that's my other brother, Brad, other brother, Daryl. And he, <laughs> Brad lives in, in, in Florida right now. Anyway, I think I was about 13 or 14 when that uh, picture was taken. But look at Brent. Look how cute he is. It's so funny. Here's, here, here's, here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what happens when you become really old friends. I want to talk about what happens to a culture, to a relationship, when you have friends that you've had for a long time. Our, uh, it's interesting, our advances in technology makes everything go so quick, so fast. I, I was talking to my son the other day, and he had texted me, and I, 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 he was like, Dad, can I do something? And 10 minutes later, he calls me, said, did you get my text? Like, Yes, I did. I wasn't ready to respond at that particular moment. Here's what I want to challenge. I want to say that in the kingdom of God, friends and followers are more than Facebook and Snapchat. They got to be. And we are, are being inundated with a concept that whatever is quick and whatever is new that that's what's best. We want, in our culture, microwave solutions, but I have news for you, God is into crockpots. He's into crackpots too, but crockpots. God wants to put us in a crockpot, and that's how he works over a long period of time. We want everything to be done like that, we want everything to happen quickly. We have a problem. We read the Bible to find the solution, make the application, and be done with it. I don't think that's how he really works. And I think we have to understand that we are a community that believes in a long-term process. And we necessarily then have to believe in a long-term relationship with God, and with one another. One of the reasons we say the creed every week, the Nicene Creed, it was written in 325 AD. We just did a series on it. If you want to go back, you've, you didn't get to hear that series, you can go back and listen to the series. Why do we do this? 
We identify with the people who've gone before us. We understand that we're not the latest and greatest. We're just people in a long line of God intervening in history and his kingdom coming to the earth through his people and his grace filling up a community and then it's spilling over into this world. We, that's why we say, that's part of the reason we say it every week. It's a long-term view. It's a long-term idea. I want to suggest to you that friendship, friends create expedient Christianity or spiritual maturity, one or the other. Friends will create something that you think is just an expedient way to do things, a, 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 a way of living out your Christianity that's just quick and instant, or they will contribute to your spiritual growth and maturity. The kind of friends you choose helps determine this. And so we, that's why we have, to, we have to understand that we're all tempted to take shortcuts. We're all tempted to, to deal with the symptoms of the problems we face instead of the road less traveled transformation that God is interested in. We can't read the Bible for our emotional fixes and get-rich-quick schemes. We can't be part of a community just so that, so that we can get what we think we need. There's a long-term purpose and plan that God wants for us. Proverbs 12, 26, it's in your message notes. It says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 27, 9, 10 says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? This was written in a time when long-term relationships were the norm. And, uh, but he, but, but the, the writer of the Proverbs here is saying, you need to live in a way where the friends that you've made are around when disaster strikes. Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes people read that verse and they think, oh, that's Jesus. Well, Sure, it could foreshadow Jesus, but the writer of this proverb is saying people who, who have unreliable friends, that it ruins them. But there are friends that will come and actually become part of your family. If you are from a family that is broken, torn apart by our culture, by divorce, by, by the, the wickedness that happens to all of us in some way, I want you to know and I want you to believe that you can have friends within the community of Christ that are close, as close as family. That's what the scripture teaches about who we are. Now this idea of wanting things to be quick and easy and simple, did you know that Jesus himself was tempted? Jesus himself was tempted with instant gratification. He was. The 40 days that he spent in the wilderness in Matthew 4, here's what he said. Here's what happened. He 
was responding to every temptation with the scripture, first of all, but he also had to respond to those temptations with a patience, an understanding of God's process and his purpose. Look what, turning stones to bread was the first temptation. And that was a temptation of provision. Well, I don't have what I need. The devil came to him. He was hungry, the Bible says, and he tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread. You know, Jesus didn't do it, though. It's interesting that the devil tempted him to use spiritual power that he possessed. But Jesus was surrendering to his father's process. And his father had not told him to do that. So he, so he said, no. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Jumping off the temple was the next, the next temptation. The temptation from the devil is, Jesus, just jump off the temple. It'll catch you. And the temptation here is, show everybody what you got. They'll, you'll get tons of followers. Sometimes I think we use Facebook and Twitter and all this. We, we just want to be famous. The temptation here is, is fame because fame will result in people following you and then you can get your job done. Actually, fame destroys people. I, I have a couple of things that I, don't, I think we're not built for as humans. One of them is fame. That's why so many famous people, they crash. And the only thing that saves them, you want to know what the only thing that saves famous people from going nuts, going crazy, is good friends. People who keep them grounded, help them see clearly. Finally bowing down to the devil, the devil said, look, I'll give you all the nations because they're mine to give you. I'll give them all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And, and, and Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus already knew that his father was going to give him the nations. The nations were already going to belong to him, but he had to go to the cross for them. We're all tempted. We're all tempted to opt for the new and shiny. We're all tempted to get something that, that builds excitement. We're all tempted for the intensity of new friends. Because new friends is like, oh, I didn't even know that this is possible. This person is so awesome. It's so, this is why the whole dating scene, it's crazy out there. We meet this new person. We think they are everything. It's like, oh, this person is so great. Well, you just haven't known them long enough to understand <laughs> their incredible weaknesses. I don't care what Match.com said. I have a rule in our church, and it's, you, you know, it, it can be broken very sparingly, because I stick to it. And it is, I'm not going to marry someone who hasn't known each other for at least a year. Because they get, I mean, you get into it, and then two years later, you're like, oh, we have really big, you're in my office anyway. Why don't you just wait a little while and fix it so that you can have a good marriage, or wait a little while and say, this person is horrible. Think about it. When you have a new relationship, it's everything is possible. It's all optimism. It's all, it's all fiction. <laughs> but old friends, there is stability, there's perspective, there's perseverance, there's, there's stuff you've been through, there's character that has had to be built, there's, there's a reality. 
Now, I want to suggest to you that it's not either or. It's both and. We need new friends and we need old friends. Okay? It's just that our culture always leans towards new friends. There are some relationships that are not even healthy for us that are old. And sometimes we have to break those relationships and find relationships that will help us live life successfully. I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that right here. I want you to understand, I, I understand that. It's not an across-the-board thing where just because you've known somebody a long time that they're, they're actually helpful. Sometimes they are hurtful. But I think for our community, we have to ask the question, what kind of friends do we need? What kind of friends do we want? And it's these kinds of friends that we need, a friend that we can call in a crisis. What, the kind of friends everybody needs, the kind we can call in a crisis, the kind we can look each other in the eye and ask hard, hard questions. I am of the opinion that everybody needs someone in their life who they can tell anything to and they know it won't, it won't cause the relationship to break. They need somebody. Everybody needs somebody that we can say things to. But we all need somebody who will ask us the hard questions, and we need to be involved in asking someone else the hard questions. We don't do that very well here in American culture because we don't think we have the right in any way, shape, or form to speak into somebody else's life. What right do I have? You know, I'm a flawed human being. Why should I tell them what I think is going wrong in their life? Oh, because you might save them from horrible mistakes? I don't know. We've adopted a, an American mindset rather than a Christian mindset. We're, we're responsible for each other. And I think the only way you really get to this point with a person is you've had enough investment. You've had a long enough time with them. Make no mistake, there's investment that's required to get there. We want, everybody needs the kind of friends who will love you as you are, but care enough to confront. Here's the blessing of old friends. Here's the blessing of old friends. Number one is trust. Trust is earned and credibility is established when you have old friends. What happens in old friendships is you grow the trust quotient because you've been through some history and you've seen it. You've seen how they respond. Proverbs 27, 5 through 7 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. People who only say nice things about you, just be careful. I think it takes about four years. You should write that down in your notes if you're taking notes. I think it takes about four years to really know somebody. Because four years like, is, is, is a process where you see them go through the life cycles long enough. You're like, now you can predict how they're going to respond. It takes about four years to see that cycle go around over and over again. And you're like, oh. And that's why, that's why in some ways our church just got to the place where we can do great stuff. We're not even six years old yet. We're a year and a half into the good stuff. And it is any shock to anybody that the last year and a half has been some of the hardest. 
I think it's been hard for our community to figure out what God is asking us to do and how to surrender to it. It's hard to send people to Lake Travis or send people to Kyle and say, God, we, we want to expand the kingdom and we'll do it at the expense of the people we're comfortable with. That's a hard thing to do. But you know what? I love this. What happens is, some of the people there and some of the people here are going to end up old friends. Some of the people who are doing ministry there and some of the people who are here are going to end up being old friends. And we're going to have stories to tell about how Austin, the Austin region, was when we first started and how it will be in the next 10 years. I believe that. But here, you could only do that if you trust people. You can only do that if you trust people. Predictability in a person creates confidence. Trust, I want you to think about this, trust increases the speed at which things can get done. Think about that. If you don't trust somebody, everything takes a long time. If you don't trust somebody, it's like, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I gotta. If you're dealing with a contract, if you don't know the people you're making the contract with, it takes a long time and a lot of pages. If you know the person you're entering into a contract with, often a handshake is enough. Everything just takes longer. I think God designed it that way, and he wants to, he wants to speed up the kingdom advance by people working together for a long time. Number two, strengths. Strengths are celebrated, and weaknesses are protected. Strengths are celebrated. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the tr truth in love scenario. I tend to think that truth without love leads to meanness. People are mean. When there's just about truth. Well, brother, you just need the truth. Let me give it to you. Boom. That's not how we should act with one another. Love, on the other hand, without truth leads to weakness. It leads to people being weak. If we don't tell people the truth, hey, brother, you gotta re you gotta, we got to work through this struggle in your life. Let me walk with you. Now, listen, all the work, all the work with truth and love in the scripture we just read, is all the work is in creating an atmosphere where people do believe that you love them. That's where all the work is. And that takes time, it takes energy, it takes mistakes, it takes forgiveness, it requires all kinds of things that God has given us and equipped us with. The purpose of the body of Christ, now I want you to get this, the purpose of the body of Christ is found in the balancing of strengths and weaknesses. The reason this group of people is so powerful is because a bunch of you have strengths that others of you don't. Some of you have weaknesses that need to be helped and protected by others who don't have those weaknesses. And when you put everybody together, even their weaknesses are minimized because we're learning from each other. We're growing from each other. Every one of us can benefit from the strengths of others. 
And I think that's the wonder, the beauty of the body of Christ. We, none of us have to suffer from our greatest weaknesses because we belong to each other. Finally, three is fear. Fear is replaced by security and confidence. Think about this. Fear is replaced by security and confidence. When you, when you erase fear from the relationship, suddenly something happens. Look at 1 John 4, 18 through 19. It's in the Message Bible. It says, there is no room in love for fear. No room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First we, first we were loved. God loves us first. It's his love that makes this happen. It's his love that begins to define how we live this out. He says, first we were loved, but now we love. He loved us first. I think what we want is our authentic selves coming out. And that could only happen when fear goes by the wayside. When we understand that we've been forgiven, when we understand that we've been healed, now, this is what is bugging me about this community series is I, I think one of the things that happens over and over again is people are afraid to let people know they're afraid. <laughs> they're afraid that other people will judge them when they see the mess that is their lives. They're afraid of what other people will think if they invite them over to their home because their home's not quite as nice as someone else's. So they don't enter into community. They don't open up their heart. They're afraid if they really know what's happening in their marriage, if other people will, will really know, then they, they'll reject them. Why is it, now I get to see this more than you, but why is it that people wait and wait and wait and wait to deal with a, a problem, a crisis, a struggle, an issue in their marriage or in their relationship, in their family, and they wait and wait until they're about to go over the cliff, and then they talk to somebody. <laughs> They're falling off the cliff, and then everybody's got to know, somebody help me, and it's almost impossible to help them as they fall off the cliff. We got we to go, we got to get rid of the fear that we're going to be rejected and let people in, let people see it. Last thing. How can I invest in long-term relationships? See, I think it's impossible to develop trust, to uh, uh, develop strengths that you're benefiting from, and, and to eliminate fear unless we have long-term relationships. How can I invest in long-term relationships? Here's what I believe. I think we keep initiating meaningful conversations. You say, Pastor Ross, people just won't do this. Yes, we live in a culture where it's really hard. It is hard. It is difficult. But you should not give up because you belong to Jesus and you belong to the body of Christ and the community of Christ is committed to this kind of thing. I made a fundamental decision, Amy and I did, made a fundamental decision to live in one place for a very long time. I lived in Colorado Springs for 19 years. We lived there together and, and all our kids were born there. But when we felt called to Austin, we came here and we committed, we're gonna die here. Not soon. <laughs> Not soon, but we're, we're, we're going to be here. I mean, Jesus can do anything. He can send me to Timbuktu, but I, I'm committed to Austin, to being here. And I think we all have to make similar, similar decisions. 
Number two, stay in the same neighborhood instead of moving to a bigger house. Now, there's a couple issues here. Some of you are like, well, my career, my job, I can't do this. People in the military, they, it's impossible for them because they've committed their lives to serve our country. I, I, I acknowledge that. Please don't misunderstand. I am not telling you everybody has to do it this way. But I think we should consider the decisions we're making about our career in light of the community of Christ and what is needed in our kids, in our family, in our own lives, in other people's lives. What is it that we need to consider as we make those very difficult decisions? Don't just go for the bigger house. There is a massive movement going where we're, people are building tiny houses right now. It is so fun. And then the other day I just realized, wait a minute. All these tiny houses are on wheels. This is just an RV <laughs> that's been around for a long time. You just put a roof on it and said it was a tiny house. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Number three, I think we should serve our church through the ordinary seasons. I don't care who you are, what church you're from, there are problems in that church. <laughs> every church has flaws because every church is full of people. And we are no different, but here's what I would suggest to you, that family life, when you remember what happened in your family, some of the memories that are really fun are holidays and vacations, but there was a lot of time in between the holidays and the vacations that were full of real life, full of struggle. You don't get the great holidays and the great vacations unless you fill the in-between spots with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and being willing to just live day to day with one another. I think most of the time we go through a cycle in our churches and about four years and then we're on to the next thing because it kind of got boring. I need something new. I need a new idea. I don't think that's how God's people should function. Number four, work through conflict in your small group or your relational circle, your, your, your friendship circle. Be committed. Don't be afraid of conflict. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Number five, and the reason I put that down here is because so many people, they have conflict and immediately the relationship is done. We don't know how to do conflict. We don't know how to talk to each other about, I mean, our national dialogue. We don't know how to talk to each other. Everybody just screams at each other. We cannot be the body of Christ that lives like that culture. We got to learn how to love each other in the midst of the conflict and work through it. Number five, change your relational mindset from a sprint to a marathon. Powerful, intimate, strong relationships require time. Now listen, everybody needs a new start occasionally. I can't manage how people function within the body of Christ. You may need to go to a new church. Okay, that's fine. If you do, it's okay. Just let me know. Just let me give me just send me an email. Hey, I'm going to a new church. Love you. It's so awful when I see you in a grocery store and you have to hide from me. I believe the body of Christ is bigger than one chapel. The body of Christ is bigger than one chapel. It's okay. People need a new start occasionally. It's okay. I, don't, I, can't, I can't manage that. That's up to God. 
But what I want us to consider and what I want us to be is the kind of community that's committed to the long-term process, committed to the long-term relationships, committed to one another in this kind of settledness where God can do his work and we can gain trust with each other and the work of the kingdom begins to be easier and, and more obvious because we've been together doing this for a long time. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want you to consider whether or not you're addicted to getting quick solutions. Maybe you're, maybe you're addicted to surface level relationships. I want, you to, I want you to consider as we come to the Lord's table, I want you to consider repenting of demanding a quick solution to everything. I want you to consider yielding to God's process and yielding to a community or a relationship with others that's longer. It has more history it has more nuances. It, I want you to consider surrendering your life to God's process and to long-term relationships. When we come to the table of the Lord, we come, we come in need. We come needing to be filled. And what I want you to consider is emptying yourself of your expectations and and your designs and come to Jesus and offer them to him. Because the truth is, Jesus, when he came to this earth and he died on a cross, his broken body on that cross was the provision for everything in your life. Not just your salvation, but everything. The blood that was spilled, the blood that was spilled out of his body was spilled for forgiveness and healing. Not just, not just uh, uh, um, the healing of your, sal of your soul for salvation, but the healing of your relationships and the healing that is supposed to be carried within our community. A lot of times we call this the body of Christ that was broken for you and me. But I want you to remember that we the scripture refers to you and me as the body of Christ. <laughs> and in our brokenness, we belong together. It is only in that brokenness that we come together and experience the healing that Jesus has for us. So Father, would you teach us now? Would you, would you show us our own lives, our own hearts? Would you reveal those things to us? And we come to you and we surrender. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to heal us. We ask you to give us a new start. Maybe even a new start with you where we surrender everything. Our careers, our designs on life, our desires for ourselves. <clears throat> and we offer these things to you at this table in Jesus' name.